When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Live podcasting, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, hi, I'm Josh Olson. <laughs> you're, you're watching uh, The Movies That Made Me, the official podcast of Trailers from Hell. Uh, thank you. Oh. Professional show. Um, it's a thrill to be here. I want to thank Monster Palooza for having us. Um, let's just get right into it. I mean, are, well, you people have heard the show, I take it, or... Anybody? Anybody? There you go. Okay. Who, who hasn't? Who has not heard the show? Okay. We two people. <laughs> yeah. Get these people out of here. Where's security? Uh, so here's the gag. Um, well, let me introduce first my amazing, I, I love saying this, co-host, uh, the great Joe Dante. I'm taking it so he won't drop it again. Thank you. Yes. Yeah, hold on. Um, so basically the gag is, uh, we invite guests on the show to talk about the movies that inspired them in their work, so you get kind of a more in-depth understanding of them, uh, and also it allows us not to have to do any work. Um, so why don't we just get right into it? Uh, our guest um, wrote and directed some uh, wonderful, wonderful horror films, uh, Night of the Creeps, um, uh, Monster Squad, uh, and he has got, I gather, a little indie film out this weekend, isn't that right, Joe? Uh, called, um, I think it's called The Predator. Uh, but anyway, we've got the co-writer of The Predator, the number one movie in the world this weekend. Uh, let's make sure he gets his drink. Ladies and gentlemen, Fred Decker. <laughs> oh, Mike. Oh, Mike, have a seat. Um, how's it going? Uh, it's going well. How's your, how's your convention? Is that a non, is that a double entendre? You've been here all weekend, right? Is that uh, uh, yes? <laughs> signing uh, stuff. This is not my first Monster Palooza. I love this uh, venue and I love the fans, and it's awesome. How how long have you been coming? Uh, this would be my third or fourth, I think. And Joe, you've been to. I can't keep them straight, so I you know horror hound Monster Palooza. There's and there's all over. They're all over the world now. So it's uh, it's, but this one has a specific. Uh, kind of identity because it's always at the Marriott. Yes. Um, by the way, it's also is, I've been to many of these. Um, my wife, Nancy, uh, not a horror fan. Um, when you get married, you, you have to accept one thing, one flaw in the other person. And, and she has so many good qualities, I overlooked that one. So this is her first Monster Palooza. So everyone give her a big Monster Palooza hand. <laughs> maybe she'll come back, I think. Or she already left. I don't know. She maybe. Hi. Is this, is this too scary for you, honey? You're all right? Okay. Um, Just wait. <laughs> so what we like to do, uh, the easiest thing for us is we like our guests to come in with a list. Um, I always know what the topic is, but I don't know uh, what's on the list. And we like to leave Joe in the dark. Normally, if we're going to have somebody who's associated with a genre, we like to sort of turn it on its ear. I don't know if you heard, like our first episode, we had Miguel Arteta, uh, who does you know, wonderful, thoughtful, sensitive uh, subtle, independent films uh, about complex relationships between men and women. Uh, he spent an hour talking about Russ Meyer. Um, that was fantastic. What I'd love to do sometimes is have Fred come on and talk about his favorite musicals, but I have a feeling that wouldn't work at Monster Palooza. So we're kind of bending the rules here. And Fred, you're going to talk about... Uh, I gave you an assignment. We agreed on it. Might be tough to fill it out with 10, but you're going to try to come up with your favorite movies featuring men in rubber costumes. <laughs> which seemed, that might kind of tie into Monster Palooza, we thought. Uh, let me ad ad adjust, if I may, what, what, what we agreed on. Also, you didn't do the homework. Which is uh, the ten, my 10 favorite rubber monster suits. So some, oh. of these, some of these are my favorite films. I some of them are women? Most of them are women. No. <laughs> <laughs> I don't even know what that means. I, so, some of these are my favorite films. Others, uh, it's really kind of all about the suit. Ah. 
So uh, it was a nice, uh, it's a tough, it was just a tough one for me. Before we jump in, I, I've seen, have, have you guys all seen The Predator? In theaters now. It's in theaters now. As soon as we're done, go to, I don't know, where's the nearest theater? The AMC, I think it's the AMC. Go to the AMC and see The Predator, not Predator or Predators or The Predators. Or AVP2 Requiem. Or, ooh, yeah, we don't talk about that. <laughs> um, and I'll, by the way, before, is the sequel going to be called The Predators? Let's wait and see how we do. Wait, okay. If these people go, then there'll be a sequel. Well, they're That's, here now, so they're obviously not there. We have the, so I, before you do it, is, uh, um, I'm, I'm pretty certain I know the answer to this, having seen the film, which is wonderful. Do you know what my job description is? I'm in acquisitions. I look up, and I catch what falls out of the sky. What's on the ship? Uh, the Predator is still a guy in a rubber suit. Mostly. Uh, well, it's, it's, you know, 2018 now. And, uh, you know, effects are a little different now. But uh, I really pushed for us to use as much as we could practical effects. And uh, I know that's a lot of what this convention is about. I go yes. out on the floor and I see the sculpting and the maquettes and the stuff like Suitmation, that. Suitmation, as it's called. <laughs> so, but there's, uh, there's some CG in the movie. Well, I know, yeah, but it's still... Still, who's the guy in the costume? In this picture, it's Brian Prince. And has he has he essayed the role before? I do not believe he has. Oh, okay. Well, he was he was quite good. He clearly was picking up where the others had left off. Exactly. Seriously, got into the part. Mm -hmm. um, the Predator speaks in this one. I don't want to give anything away. Uh, well, actually, the Predators have spoken in previous have they, installments. I don't remember, not with uh, subtitles, have they? Uh, not with subtitles, no. Yes. Uh, well, but you know why we did that? So you'd know what they were saying. So you know what they were saying <laughs> is what I. That's usually why you. Yeah. Um, uh, well, do you want to just sort of launch in with your uh, least favorite favorite? Uh, yes, I will. I will. Uh, I will go in ascending order. Uh, but but I wanted to to do a little preamble because, you know, okay, so it has to be a guy in a suit. So I thought about or a woman. What's that? Or a woman. Or sorry, or a <clears throat> woman. Um, actually, is there, can you think of a woman? In a monster suit. Well, terror from the year 5000, but that's just a, a lame suit. <laughs> <laughs> so that doesn't necessarily count. I mean, see, I grew up on Famous Monsters of Filmland magazine. Yes. So, you know, I know, you know, the curse of the demon and the she creature and the monster of Piedras Blancas. I mean, those are all, I only know those really because of Forrest Ackerman right. and, and Famous Monsters magazine. Oh, yeah, I've ever and seen Piedras but it's the one, I, but it's an image, right, with the head. Yeah, it's the, the last poor Europe. Everyone shot. knows that, that image from the cover of. Right, I've never seen. And it that's a, that's a monster that was cobbled together from pieces of other monsters that uh, Jack Kavan had made at Universal. Jack Kavan, who will come up later. Ah, who was the cone-shaped, that weird cone-shaped monster with the fangs? Oh, it conquered the world. Oh, the giant. It conquered the world. Yeah. Yes, they call her Beulah. Beulah, yeah. Terrible. As, as Beverly Garland said, this conquered the world. <laughs> <laughs> so, so, yeah, so I grew up with famous monsters in Basil Gogos, who uh, actually was at this convention the last time I was here and is no, lo no longer with us. But if you know who he is, he's the fantastic cover artist of Famous Monsters. And he would paint these terrible 1950s monsters with such vision and panache and light and... Shade and it was like, oh my god, this is terrifying. And then you go see the movie. Then you see the movie or you see a picture, and it's like, this is the cheesiest <laughs> the thing I've ever suit. seen. No, I, mem I remember there was a cover. It might have been Monster World of Frankenstein Conquers the World, which was the, I, I, as far as I know, the only kaiju Frankenstein movie. And uh, it's it. I got nightmares from this painting. And then you see the movie, yeah. and it's just a big, you know, Japanese guy fighting, you know, guys in rubber suits. So it, you have to know. Also, I'm not a kaiju fan. If I were a kaiju fan, we could do probably. Oh God! We could do this in five minutes. Okay. <laughs> but, but I grew up as a Harryhausen fan. If like you're gonna yes. do a giant monster, I want stop motion. Uh, I'd rather that than these guys in costumes. Just I, I have a friend in Texas who listens to the show, uh, whose grandson is now in his early twenties. But I remember he called me up once uh, years ago with uh, 
I can't say tears in his eyes. We were on the phone, but it sounded like he had tears in his eyes. He had just come back from a comic shop with his then 11-year-old grandson, and they had walked in. And I can't remember what the maquette was, but it was from one of those, you know, it may have been a Sinbad film. And, and his kid walked in, he pointed at it, and he went, Howie housing, Grandpa? Howie housing? <laughs> <laughs> so, he, was, he was raised well. There's still kids out there who know. Who know. Yeah, and, they all, and they all go to Monster Palooza when they grow up. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so when thinking about it, I realized that many of my favorite rubber monsters are actually makeup, uh, uh, special, uh, makeup effects sequences or, or, or transitions. Of, of, so it's not so much necessarily a guy in a suit, in a rubber suit, but it's a guy transitioning into something else, and rubber and a suit might be involved. So I don't know if I'm going to get docked points yeah. for this. Uh, you, you, can, you can try. You can try. But. All right. Let's, so so if, if you're ready, let's jump in. Um, number 10, again, in ascending order from, ten, from, from worst well, to, don't have to, to best. You know, we just do one, and then we'll talk about it. No, ideally. No, I'm not going to do them all in one. You do them all at once? No, I'm not going to. Oh, because I said we can all get no, that. I need, I need your help here. I think <laughs> Isn't a, this exciting? This 445 conflict. show of the Predator. This is jo- Josh and I. Um, We've never met. But, but Joe may be able to help me with this because I, I can't remember what the creature's actually called. The movie is Schlock. On the dawn of man comes Schlock. A beast from 20 million years ago stalks the streets of today. A love stranger than King Kong. A monster more powerful than Godzilla. See, a small California town learn the true meaning of terror. Bananas! John Landis' Schlock, 1973. The Schlocktropus. The Schlocktropus, a.k.a. the banana monster. Uh, Eight makeup and body suit by Rick Baker. Mm-hmm. Uh, and portrayed by John Landis, the director. It was his first film. Um, now, I'm not a fan of, and you guys are going to kill me, I'm not a fan of giant uh, of ape, cost, ape suits, per se. Um, I'm a big Planet of the Apes fan. I love Escape from the Planet of the Apes. I think that's actually the best sequel of the original series. I agree. Conquest. However, Conquest, a, Conquest. However, no. No, Conquest oh, is great. Come on. Conquest is great. But, but, but I, I, I like Escape a lot. It's a great science fiction movie. Right. Um, but there's a t- you have John Chambers' amazing makeup appliances in this movie with Roddy McDowell and, and Kim Hunter and Sal Mineo. And then you have this terrible, wonky, dumb gorilla who kills the Sal Mineo character. I, I'm not a big fan of gorilla costumes, but schlock, it's so elegant and it's so well uh, sculpted and, and uh, it's not too bulky. It's fairly realistic, uh, considering what a goof the movie is. Oh, yeah. um, and it was Rick Baker showing his, his genius very early. So well, Landis right. is a huge fan of gorilla costumes, yeah. and he yes. knows he knows all the Steve Calverts and all the Emil Van Horns and all the guys who used to and 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 which suits that these guys used to use, and sometimes they would be handed down to other guys, but it would still that's the Calvert suit, you know. <laughs> um, and you can follow them. I mean, they, they they these same suits do appear over and over uh, in in these movies, and. Um, you actually get to a point where you say, "Well, this is a, a pretty good gorilla suit, really." I mean, I mean, it's always a gorilla suit, <laughs> but you know, there are there are gradations of how good the gorilla suits are. Right. So you could follow the career of a specific gorilla suit. You could follow the the career of a of a gorilla costume, and, and on the corner of Kawenga and um, Franklin, there, <laughs> when I first came to California, there was a sign on the store that said, "Gorilla suits sold here." <laughs> Uh, it's now, um, I think, a nightclub or something. But it, but for a long time, for the longest time, this faded wooden sign, which was hand-lettered, said, Gorilla Suits sold here. And I thought, God, I really am in California. I really am in Hollywood now. I mean, there's no Gorilla, because what other su- no gorilla is Suits have... signs in New Jersey. Did you ever go uh, in? I never did. No. Did Landis? Possibly. Probably. He must have. <laughs> oh, are we allowed to talk about Landis's famous thing with the suit and the footage, or is that a, the suit? What suit? The, the Bigfoot. The Bigfoot. Bigfoot are we not supposed to? I know the question you're asking. Yeah, Yeti or not? No, no. Uh, the, supposedly, Landis may, or am I? Am I? Am I going to get killed? I thought Cham- John Chambers did it. Uh, uh, Landis- I think. I think Josh is alluding to the famous Bigfoot footage. Yes. yes. I, I thought Landis was the guy in the suit. Really? That's I never. I, I, never I never heard that. I think he told me that. Well, it doesn't mean it's true. Well, 
I, I don't know if Joe's being serious or I have transgressed some unwritten law and you'll never see me again after this. But, <laughs> but I, I believe, yeah, Landis once told me that he's the guy in the Bigfoot suit in the famous footage that everybody thinks is real. I, I, I honest God, never heard that. We'll have to ask it. We'll have to have him on. We'll have to have him on. Okay. No, we won't have to talk at all. <laughs> <laughs> now that you've transgressed the yes. unwritten law, they're going to find you in an alley in a gorilla suit. I exactly. had a gorilla suit without a head. Uh, number nine? Mm-hmm. I'm going to give it to the Predator from the movie Predator, 1987. Nothing like it has ever been on Earth before. We cannot see it, but it sees the heat of our bodies and the heat of our fear. It kills for pleasure. It hunts for sport. But this time, it's picked the wrong man to hunt. He is the ultimate warrior. If he is to destroy it, he must become more than a man. More than an animal. He must become the very spirit of the Predator. Arnold Schwarzenegger in Predator. Oh, how self-serving is that? <laughs> now, here's the... But now, I'm not just... At least he didn't make it number one. No, I'm not... I, yeah, there's a little... I'm doing a little marketing here. No, the, the face is incredible. I mean, Stan Winston yeah. took over and did an amazing sculpting on the face. That um, There's a big Predator fan there in the back that we... Uh, Clearly. He's <laughs> like, yay, Predator! When I first saw the movie, and my friend was in it, 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 it bothered me when this invisible alien hunter... Um, shows himself finally after being cloaked for the whole movie, and he's he's bipedal and he's basically humanoid. Right. And and, and honestly, that that bothered me a little bit. It was too he was too down to earth. I thought he's he's it's he's basically a humanoid. And my my misgivings actually inspired a plot point in the in the new film, yes. which I hope you all go and oh, see. Oh, is that you? That's me going. Wait a minute. Ah. He looks this like, a, he looks like a guy. Right. However, when he takes off his bio helmet at the end, uh, and we see Stan Winston's full, you know, face sculpt, all is forgiven, as far as I'm yeah. concerned. Yeah, um, I think. Well, uh, that amazing, not hair, but the dreadlocks. We dreadlocks. But, that's, yeah. but that's that's sort of a a, a problem that um, those kind of movies tend to have. I mean, I always had a problem with Alien. For the same reason, yeah. That that in the whole first half of Alien, you don't really see what he looks like. You get impressions of what he yeah. looks like, and so your mind builds up this idea of, "Wow, this really is an alien alien." And then, because it has to be a guy in a suit, because how else are you going to do it? <laughs> right. Sooner or later, you have to show, however fleetingly, that it's a guy in a suit. And there's always a little bit, "Oh, it's just a guy in a suit." And and the thing about Predator was it had such clever optical effects when it was not being Predator vision or whatever it right, was right. that you, you, again, were given the opportunity to imagine something really out of the ordinary and something really cool. Yeah. Uh, and and, and the, just the, the, the realities of, you know, the logistics just make it impossible to sustain that for an entire movie. Well, I, I, I'm, I want to argue with him a little bit about that, but without giving anything away, do you think we should save arguments about Alien, or... Uh, I'm sure it's on his list. That's what I'm trying to ask without <laughs> making it obvious. I'm well, not going to... No, spoiler alert. <laughs> no Alien? <laughs> what? No, I'm not, no if, I, if I tell you if it's on the list or not on well, the list. Well, should I hold off on arguing with him? Yeah, let's move on. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> because the ne- I think Joe is going to appreciate the next one. Uh, number eight, The Metaluna Mutant from This Island Earth, 1955. Mm. Alien visitors have arrived in search of Earth's top nuclear scientists. They're pulling us up. Two have been chosen. The two of you are beginning a strange journey, a journey that no Earth people have ever undertaken before. They're going to hit us! The Metalunans need help defending themselves against their enemies. It is indeed typical that you Earth people refuse to believe in the superiority of any world. But your own. This is not a job for the faint-hearted. Now, this uh, this was designed by a, a, a woman named Millicent Patrick, who was a Disney animator, apparently. Um, and uh, yes, she will show up on the list again. Um, if you don't know the movie, the brain head, the goggle eyes, the 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 pinchers. Uh, I, I was told they designed a lower body for it, and it was 
kind of it didn't quite work. They thought maybe it was a little. It actually was a little expensive. Oh, is that what it was? And and, uh, yeah, and I thought so it kind of looked like it had a genitalia or something. I don't know. Uh, no, I think that the the issue really was that the you know it was universal and they were spending a lot of money for them and, and there was a lot of money to be spent on opticals and stuff. But when they came to design the monster, uh, it seemed to be um, economical to have him be in some sort of jod purse or something that he's in pants he wears pants, pants which are actually somehow part of his actual body because there's there's no there's the, it just sort of morphs into pants you know um <laughs> but the top half is so cool oh incredible. and they hardly ever see him you know in that wide shot anyway that uh when i was a kid it was like the, the greatest thing ever i mean I, you yeah. know there were there were two movies in the 50s, uh, Forbidden Planet and This Island Earth, which, which were the Star Wars of their day, and uh, managed to continue over you know many years. So, but those are not actually pants. Then they're just meant to. Well, they're they're covering up the very expensive exoskeleton that they <laughs> couldn't afford to build. They look like pants. <laughs> Wait, I got. I, I know. I was just reminded of this today because we were walking the floor and somebody had a bunch of models of Weta creatures from Lord of the Rings and. I hadn't thought about this in a long time, and maybe it traumatized me when um, I, I got to go down to New Zealand several years ago. I was the last writer on Halo before the whole thing fell apart. And, wow. Um, working with uh, Peter Jackson on, on that, and, having, and I actually got the Weta tour from Peter. And they went through, and they had these large models of all the creatures. And I'm sorry, I'm not enough of a nerd. I should know the name, but you know the big giant monster in the first Lord of the Rings film that bats them all around? Does somebody know the name of that thing? Yeah, yeah, the Balrog. Do, do you know... I mean, is this common knowledge? The they have them there in the showroom, and when they build these things, um, they they've got genitals, <laughs> all of them. And probably, even our Halo for, alien, they built Halo aliens, and for reproductive and purposes. Go, oh, and they were all men. They went for reproductive purposes. For reproductive purposes, yeah, that's generally what. Because you know, you make one of them, and then they make themselves. Exactly, just but, for pee. Then, but the idea is they have to make them, and then they have to figure out how to cover them up when they shoot them. And I just thought, why not just. <laughs> Yeah, but anyway, sorry, just... No, no. Now I'm thinking about that. The Metal Enemy Mutant wears pants, is the point. Yes, I've seen the Balrogs jump. Um, and yes. let's just say this and get it over with. Uh, I love the Mars Attacks cards from the early 60s. Mm. Blatant ripoff. Absolutely. Um, and then the Tim Burton film from later. I love that film. Uh, the, as well you should. Okay. Number seven. Silence from Joe. <laughs> <laughs> He's just not going to weigh in. It's, he doesn't need to. <laughs> Number seven on my list of rubber suits, Toxic Waste Emil from Paul Verhoeven's RoboCop. Ah, uh, yeah. <clears throat> Makeup effects by Rob Bottin, played well, by Paul McCrane. Yeah. Well, he, okay, so have you, have, show of hands you've seen RoboCop. You guys know this film? <laughs> Emil drives into a vat of toxic chemicals, okay? And he comes out with his flesh literally melting off his body and droopy you know, dangling loops, and then, he's, and then he runs in front of a car and gets pulverized and literally explodes with goo. Grade A guy in rubber suit, as far as I'm concerned. That's, yeah, that's a, that's a very, that's disgusting. But that's one of the transitions you're discussing. No, early. that's no, a guy in a rubber suit. that's transitional. Oh, I thought you he were... Gets blo- he, he gets hit by a car and explodes with goo. Right. And that, so the transition is from... Well, he's a dude, and then yeah, he's, he's a, a melting dude. He's and a dude, then he's a melting dude, dude, then he's exploding goo. So um, I guess that's a transition. It's a transition. Okay. Yeah. Can I go on a Verhoeven tangent? Why am I asking permission? I'm just, you're, 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 you're moving the, in a rapid clip. You're so the I'm, host. I'm, we have plenty of time. I just the, the, the other night, I um, uh, sat down and watched a movie I had not seen since before it came out. And I feel like if Paul Verhoeven's listening to this and gives a shit what I think about anything, I owe an apology. Um, I think we even talked about this on the show. I saw Starship Troopers at an early screening, and the star of the film was a young gentleman named Casper Van Dien, who was the star of my first movie, and which was about to come out, and um, uh, no one has ever heard of, and no one ever will hear of. But everything after road, Jay, they will. you know, twenty years ago, everything in my career rode on this guy being a massive movie star. And I just finished this film with him, and I'm like, I'm not so sure. And we go to see Starship Troopers, and I just remember sitting there the whole movie, going, "Oh fuck!" And I just watched it again the other night, having now survived that experience and able to look back and laugh at it. And it's, it's somebody was on our show talking about it. That's why I did. I won't give away. A guest is coming up. It's amazing. I, Starship Troopers is fucking incredible. I absolutely loved it. I have thought terrible things about it for 20 years because I thought it was taking my career with it. 
I, I think it's just masterpiece. I think foreign directors who come to America and get into the, you know, the blockbuster business, um, you know, John Woo, he had some, I, th I feel yeah. his early American films weren't, you know, anywhere, even uh, near his, his Hong Kong work. But, yeah. uh, but, but Verhoeven, because he brings a, a European sen uh, a sensibility, I think the, the, those, those early comic book films he made, they're amazing. Well, he also, he's not afraid to, you know, tell the audience that he hates you. <laughs> <laughs> Which I really appreciate. I, I don't like someone who whispers in my ear and then says bad things about me behind my back. And Verhoeven just walks in going, <laughs> And I, I just, that, that movie you knocked me out. You respect that. I respect the hell out of that. Yes, yes. He does not pretend to like you. So, love it. Anyway, sorry, Divergent. Yes, carry on, carry on. Let's go through this. Number six. Jabba the Hutt from Return of the Jedi. Chisa, Picha, Huanki Chubaka. Kanchi Tagroid. Yes, I am here, Your Worship, for this. Yes. Yuba, Kurato Kamawalpa, Pais Kachum, Kawawoki. Designed by Phil Tippett, built by Stuart Freeborn. Now, Let's be honest, this isn't a guy in a rubber suit. It's three guys in a rubber suit. Uh, so cheating. Toby Philpot played the left arm and tongue. He did his research. Dave Barkley played the right arm and mouth. <laughs> and Mike Edmonds was the tail. Uh, so, okay, made of rubber. Who plays the little one in the... Oh, that's... Uh, in the, in the quote-unquote Wars fans, one. who's the little screeching guy? The little guy? No, no, no. I mean, when they... when they Glacious crumb. When they shot, you know, when they threw that scene back into Star Wars, not A New Hope. I don't play that game. Right. When they re-edited it. Oh, I don't it, know. Very and then they question. But it's a CG one, and he's shrunk, remember? He's, yeah. Because he's replacing a normal-sized... Right. Well, the original uh, Jabba was a guy with, like, fur. I mean, right. it was not good. Yeah. But the one in Jedi is pretty good. And uh, it's, Yeah, who did the slobbering? Oh, good question. Is uh, that, that's probably Phil. Up. That is amazing. Probably Phil. Really disgusting. He's, he gets big bowls of stuff. Ladles yeah, it out. That's what sells But anyway, made of rubber, right? Yep, sure. People inside. Yep. And he's fucking Jabba the Hutt. So there you go. <laughs> Number six. <laughs> Joe? I have, to, I? I have to have an opinion on Jabba the Hutt. <laughs> well, you know, you're <laughs> Just weigh in any time. Should we talk about Star Wars? You guys, you know the film, right? <laughs> Number five, and again, it's hard to come up with with a rubber suit. Yeah. So I'm I'm fine. Now you're winging it. No, okay. I think these all. I I think I can stand by these, but it's not like the guy puts on the suit at the end of the day, shoots for the day, and then goes home at night. Right. These are variations on a theme. Okay. Uh, some of them, not all of them. Um, but for for me, number five would be David's transformation from an American werewolf in London. <laughs> You saw me standing alone. Jesus Christ! Without a dream. A what? God! What? Oh, oh, I'm burning up! Oh! 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 Now, some of this is actor David Naughton covered in yak hair or whatever and stretchy urethane and prosthetics but he's there he's in the shot and he's got rubber on him some of it's an animatronic puppet with david naughton's likeness because they took cast of him to make it look like him so they could create that and some of it's just inserts of you know puppetry that have no david naughton whatsoever um but if it isn't a hell of a rubber monster suit i don't know what is so that's that's my uh, opinion Joe. i'm sticking to it <laughs> What's your favorite uh, rubber werewolf suit? <laughs> I, I didn't. Uh, I didn't have a rubber werewolf suit in my you know, movie. Oh wow! What, so, so, how, what did what did you? But you had. I remember you had bulging, swelling. We had makeup effects. Yeah. Is it okay? But there's no. But werewolf. we didn't. No, and we have we have half a werewolf and a bottom half of a werewolf. But we never had a, a guy in a suit. Oh, okay. We did have a guy in a suit when we first started shooting, and it looked so terrible. Uh, uh it, because you know human beings just don't have the same. Con contours as 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 wolves, as wolves. Yeah. and so it just looked like a guy in a bear suit. <laughs> and uh, we we do you know we're talking about the howling? Okay, we we lit we lit it the howling. We lit people, it nicely. 
greatest werewolf we it, movie ever we, made. We lit it nicely, but people lumbering around in these suits just looked like they looked like crap. And so we had to go back to the company and ask them for more money to do reshoots, which they, which they gave us. But then, of course, uh, that meant that uh, there was no money for, to pay me for editing it. <laughs> uh, but it was okay. It all worked out in the end. It, it did work out. Are you, you're not going to... Hold on, hold on. Sidebar. Now, this is the part they cut out. Okay, good. I didn't want to... There, there's, I don't even... I just remember the effect. There was that really cheesy thing, Extro. Do you remember that one? Extro, yeah, the guy walked backwards. And the guy's walking backwards. That was, yeah. just, I, that was the one clever thing. It was like the guy in the rubber suit was walking backwards so his legs, so he doesn't look human. Well, that was an interesting you've got to give him props for that. Yeah, that was... That was... <laughs> well, how did the alien in, um, in Explorers, he had kind of weird legs. Well, that was a suit. That was a, a big, fat, huge, heavy, sweat-inducing rubber suit <laughs> that caused uh, Bob Bacardo, who the actor inside, to... Uh, give a manic performance that he was unable to uh, repeat in the looping stage because he wasn't covered with thousands of pounds of rubber. Uh, and so uh, we just went with whatever he had lived on the set. Wow. You know what Kubrick would have done? Back, back in the put him back rubber. in the suit. <laughs> <laughs> the looping, come on. Don't be nice to actors. Be nice to actors. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Number four. Yes, sir. Uh, and I, uh, I, I am filled with a certain amount of embarrassment and chagrin on this one. Because it's your movie. Because it's my movie. Ah. <laughs> but I did not design it. I did not build it. Okay. I just Fair. went, yeah. that looks cool to me. And that would be the Gill Man from the Monster Squad. Yes. You know who to call when you have ghosts. But who do you call when you have monsters? We're the Monster Squad. What's a squad? It's like Miami Vice, I think. They're young and inexperienced. Naughty virgin. They're a bit disorganized. Monsters are not real. We don't know that, sir. 2,000-year-old dead guys do not get up and walk away by themselves. But when strange things start happening in town... There's a monster in my closet. Ooh, look at that big, scary monster! What's happening? Do I kill a werewolf? Silver bullet? They're the only ones ready to do battle. Something down there is killing people. And if it's monsters, nobody's going to do a thing about it but us. <laughs> it was designed by Stan Winston. Sculpted and built by Steve Wang and Matt Rose, and played by Tom Woodruff, who, unless I'm wrong, played the Metal Luna Mutant in Joe Dante's Looney Tunes Back in Action. This is true. Wow. Yes. Small world. It's all a vicious circle. I just find the sculpting just beautifully rendered and, and elegant, and uh, it looks like a real... I mean, it's, it, it's not... Uh, I almost did a spoiler there. Um, but you're, but, you're allowed to do that with it's your film. No, I'm not going to... The, the, no, no, I mean to, to put not, that on your list. Not about the movie, but I don't want to spoil it. I can't. You had to be so happy when you saw that thing. Oh, my God. It's, it's a beautiful... It's, it's one of the best, I think, monster, guys in it's a rubber suit of all yeah. time. Yeah, I also great. know, and this is the first time that Tom got in a suit, and he actually, if you know the Monster Squad, Tom was in charge of Frankenstein's monster. Stan put him in charge of Frankenstein's monster. But he knew that Steve and Matt were off making the Gill Man, and he desperately wanted to uh, be uh, in the suit and, and act. He wants to be a, a monster actor and has made a really good uh, living in, a, in addition to the effects that he does uh, at ADI actually acting. And this was the first time he did that. Um, so he went to Stan and he said, hey, Stan, can I, can I play the creature? Because they had done a full body cast of him mm -hmm. for some reason and it was there in the, in the studio. It was like, we don't do a body cast. There it is. I've done it. Can I do it? And Stan, God bless him, said, yeah, yeah sure. So that's how Tom played the, the, the creature in, in uh, the Gilman in, in Monster Squad. But we were shooting at the, um, on the Warner back lot, the, the Robin Hood 
forest, and there's like a lagoon there, or a little Not lake. Not anymore, there isn't. Uh, <laughs> there used to be a little lake there, kind of a, like a lagoon. And, you know, the stuff we're talking about, when we talk about rubber suit, it's actually foam rubber, and foam rubber actually absorbs water. So Tom went into the drink for all night, and at some point or another realized that he's really heavy, <laughs> and that doesn't... Uh, take into account also the fact that it's not like there's a zipper on the suit. He can't go, guys, i got to pee. Okay, come on, Tom, we're taking a break. Pee break oh. for Tom, and we unzip him. He's glued into this thing. Uh, so is he so fill, but, but the, fill but, in the blanks here. But the built-in catheter worked, right? <laughs> <laughs> I bet at that time he wished. But you know what? I'll bet that swampy area has seen worse. <laughs> And it's gone now, so it's... Oh, I thought the swampy area in the costume. Yeah, never mind. <laughs> exactly. Ow. All right, well, I get the sense that uh, Joe was not with me on American Werewolf as far as... Is it a guy, no, it's just a, it's is it a guy in a suit? It doesn't is strike a, me as a suit, that's all. Okay, well, then this, you're going to hate this it's one. A bit of a, yeah. <laughs> you're going to hate this one, but this is my number three. Norris in, infested by the thing and John Carpenter's The Thing. I'm just going to say right up front before I just... Does everybody know this sequence? Raise your hand if you've seen the thing. All right, I'm going to tell you what happens anyway. Wait, I... What? That, that, that guy. What? No, no, it's my wife. You, I thought I showed you the thing. I didn't show you the thing. Oh, wow, guess what we're watching tonight, honey. <laughs> so I shouldn't tell her what happens? She's never going to watch the thing. <laughs> show her the black and white one. Yeah, the black and white. You'll, you'll dig the black and white one. It's... All right, so it's, a, it's, the, it's an Arctic uh, research uh, uh, station, and it's been invaded by a, a shape-shifting extraterrestrial that wants to survive at all costs. That's the short version. Um, Char Charles Hallahan plays Norris. He's having a cardiac event. He's on a, a, a gurney or an operating table. He's laying there. Dr. Copper, played by Richard Dysart, has defibrillator uh, paddles. And as he applies the paddles, they punch through Norris's chest, creating a gaping maw and teeth that instantly clamp down and bite off the doctor's upper arms. As he flails, armless, Norris's neck starts to distend, and it's trailing these little green tendrils that look like plants or something. Um, and his tongue is lolling in his head, and the, and the, and the head actually goes off of the, of the table and goes to the floor and sprouts eye stalks and spider legs and walks away. So even if it isn't a guy in a rubber costume, it's one of the most <laughs> fucking amazing practical effects I've ever seen in the history of movies. And, and the great line, of course, after. Yes. Gotta be fucking kidding me. <laughs> uh, I have that toy in the library. It's on one of the, you've seen it. It's a little head with a spider legs coming out of it. You keep trying to get me to throw it away. <laughs> Don't throw it away. For those listening, if we breathe, I'm, I'm speaking to my wife who's in the audience. Um, yeah, that's, that's great. That is not even remotely a guy in a rubber suit. Okay. But, there is, but, but, but it's an amazing but, scene. But, it's, but it's, it's Hallahan is, is on the table, and it's his head, and his chest and the rest of his body is rubber. Right. No, it's fair. We had someone last week who didn't do any of the stuff he was supposed to do. So the fact that you're cheating on one or... <laughs> Some people just don't do the homework. It's crazy. I will give you that cheat. But that back was... to your thing. You know, yeah. I, the, most of these movies I really love. Yeah. Um, some of them I haven't seen in a couple of years. Yeah. But so if you want to say there's rubber in the movies and well, there's rubber in the thing, for sure. There is, yes. And there's dudes. And there's the thing. There's dudes in the thing. There are yes, it is an entire so cast of dudes. Of dudes and rubber, which you can't do today. No, 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 no. Yes. <laughs> I got three laughs. Thank you. Although I also, if if you did, it would be. I I think if you were going to do that today, having a woman direct it would actually be kind of a great thing. Not just that, but the original, the Howard Hawks has women in it. Yeah. Oh yeah. So, Bill, we we have to blame Bill Lancaster, I guess. Why? Because he wrote the script. Oh, I did. Or and you know, the writers. script. <laughs> the script is even better. The original script is even better than the movie because mm. they, to make room for the the effects, they did have to drop a bunch of stuff from the. Script and I, I just remember when I first read it, and this is Burt Lancaster's son. Um, I thought this is a really brilliant reworking of this story. And when I saw the movie, yeah, it was it was it was it was good. But it, but I thought the character relations didn't 
quite resonate like they had in the script because there was so much extra spectacle, you know, which was all great spectacle. But um, I think that's one of the reasons it didn't uh, do that well. Also, it opened against E.T., yeah. which was not a good idea. <clears throat> so Mr. Carpenter's... Uh, I know which one of those movies I love. You don't love them both? I, I, I don't. Okay. <laughs> Josh and I do this every once in a while. I'll, I'll mention a favorite film of, of mine, and he'll just, I'll hear nothing. Oh, I guess. <laughs> yeah. Really? You, you went to the sequels of Star Wars? I, I'm interested, though, in what Joe said, just as a sideline. Do, do movies change for you? Before we came on, you said, what's your favorite film? And you said, oh, I could never tell you, and it changes all the time. Something like The Thing, which was lambasted when it opened, um, has now become a cult classic. Well, but that's, that it has in common with many movies that didn't open well and that got bad reviews. Right. That were, you know, uh, they opened to a world that was not uh, yet ready for that kind of movie. And uh, so many um, directors who now are thought of as being very successful in the 80s, if you look back, a lot of the movies that uh, people revere today uh, are movies that got bad reviews and didn't make any money. Uh, but then they got found on home video, which was the savior of all the movies from the 70s and 80s. Mm -hmm. They didn't make it theatrically. It was that people said, oh, this is a good... And then they would, they would ecumenically hand it out to their friends. So there would be this, this mass of people who now were aware of this movie, only a fraction of whom had ever gone to see it in a theater. But my question was really also, and that's true, and I've benefited from that on the, on the, the films I made in the 80s. But my question to you, because I'm interested, is have movie, do you watch something that you haven't seen in a couple of years and you go, you know what, that's much, much better than I thought it was, or, or that's much worse. No, I I've, used to I've, love it, and now it's I've changed my mind about a lot of things. I didn't used to think Richard Quine was a very good director, and now I, I'm, I'm on the Richard Quine wagon. I, I, and movies that I, this very same movies that I saw and, didn't, and dissed uh, you know, when they were new, I now see things in that I didn't see uh, when I was there. And, and the reverse is, is less true for me. I mean, if I liked it then, I tend to like it now. But there's just more things that I was not aware of the quality of uh, that in my later years I have found are um, a lot better than I thought they were. I have, are there any for you that... Uh... I can't think of any offhand, but I do know that, that film is, is fluid if you're a fan that, that you can look at something and, and you see it through new eyes. I have a, uh, my relationship with, with Kubrick's films are that I always sort of have to get the first viewing out of the way. Yeah. Not, the, not the early, but Strange Love I knew was great, and it's always the same. And, and, but some of the others, you know, uh, The Shining I saw opening day, actually. Uh -huh. We're off of Rubber Monsters here. Oh, no, there's a Rubber Monster in The Shining. There's the lady in the bathtub. The lady in the bathtub, yeah, of course. So there. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> But I saw it opening day with the scene that he cut out, by the way, mm. uh, at the end. And I just, I, there was something cold about it, but the aesthetic was so, yeah. I just loved being in that hotel. And I said, there's something here. I got to see it again. And I've done that 20 times or 30 times since then. I did, so, every Coen Brothers film. Yeah. I mean, not that I don't like it the first time, but it's always better the second. Interesting. Usually better the third. And often, yeah, I mean, Miller's Crossing gets better every single time it, see it. it was pretty good the first and, time. And I remember hating Big Lebowski in theaters. Really? I was so angry with it. Because it, it seemed to set you up for a plot. And you don't find out. And then you know, two hours into it, as his credits are rolling, you're like, there's no fucking plot. <laughs> you're like, all right, I'll try it again. And now you're not looking for that. For that. And yeah. it's just joy. It's just such a... Um, but the other, on the other, I remember my... I, I think I had a bag on this film. It's, uh, do you know the film Red Sun? Mm-hmm. I saw that with my father when I was about eight, and it was just the most amazing movie. It's Charles Bronson and, and Tashir Mifune and Alan Delon in the Old West and Gunfighter and a Samurai, and it was just the most incredible film I'd ever seen. And then decades later, it came out on video, and I was like, oh, I can't wait to see this again. And I'm like, God, it's awful. It's just cheap and <laughs> slow, and nobody's good in it, and it's just... But I actually... So I then went off, and I remember I basically wrote a script that was the movie I thought I had saw when I was 10. Oh, that's great. And it almost, it didn't sell, but it got me a ton of work, so it was great. And it hasn't been made? No. Let's do it. Yeah. I'm in. And you can't even tell that it's Red Sun, but in my mind, it was like, I'm writing the movie I thought I saw. So, I always mix that one up with Hell in the Pacific for some reason. Oh, that's a good film. But that's Mufuni too, right? That's Mufuni and Lee Marvin, yeah. Right. On an island. Just came out on Blu-ray recently and is well worth revisiting. Not a horror film, but take a break. But what you really care about is Rubber Monsters. Rubber Monsters. Yeah, come on, yeah. My number two favorite Rubber Monster movie. Uh, 
I'm not going to say movie. I'm going to say the, 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 the movie's okay. Okay. But the monster is incredible. And that would be the creature from the Black Lagoon. Uh. From the motion picture, the preacher from the Black Lagoon, 1954, which was designed by Millicent Patrick, the Disney animator who also designed the Metal Luna Mutant. Um, the body was, what did you say, Jack? Jack Cavan. Jack Cavan did the body. Yeah, but Bud Westmore took all the credit for everything. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Um, and uh, the, the role was played by Ben Chapman on land and Rico, Rico, Browning. Rico Browning in the water. And uh, supposedly, because Chapman was bigger, uh, if you look carefully, I've never done this myself, uh, the, 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 on the land creature has one more row of scales. Oh than the one in the water. You just don't get this kind of trivia on other podcasts. Yes. <laughs> I actually think there's an entire podcast devoted to discussing the Gilman's costume. It's, you could do it. Every week they do a different <laughs> scale. It's uh, just, it's so live. I love that, the underwater stuff, too. And, and it looks like a real animal. Yeah. You know, a lot of, there's a wonderful sculptors throughout the history of Hollywood who do this incredible work, but, but this actually looks like nature made it. Mm-hmm. To me, and uh, did Millicent Patrick do any other monsters? I, I, all, I, all I know about Millicent Patrick is that she was uh, sent on a tour uh, with the creature uh, because she was very comely, and so they went. She went to various, uh, you know, openings, and and uh, they did stories about her. And uh, Bud Westmore found out about. He saw these stories, and he was thought she was getting all the credit for what he had now what he didn't he really didn't do shit but he was the head of the department and he wanted the credit and uh he demoted her uh and that's why her career didn't um, go as uh, she could have been you know uh, one of the premier designers I and mean, she certainly could have done paul blaisdell's work you know um but didn't so yeah. T- time was up in 1954, but uh, Bud Westward is, is no longer with us, so yeah. we can't uh, give him a hard time about it. All right, we're at number one. Let me guess. Can, can I argue with Joe about the alien now? You can argue with Joe <laughs> about the alien from Ridley Scott's Alien, which uh, I just think is, is brilliant in concept. It mm. is a guy in a suit, and I felt the same way that Joe did when I first really? saw the movie. Oh, I- but the genius of this movie is that he doesn't show it very much. It also transforms. It changes. When you first see it, it's a little thing that pops out of John, Hurt, uh, John Hurt's chest, and then you wonder, well, what, where is it now? Oh, it's bigger. She just saw it. Oh, she, yeah. Now it's, weeks ago. It's bigger now. What is it? H.R. Uh, uh, Giger designed it, who's no longer with us. Uh, Carlo Rimbaldi uh, was, uh, built it, I guess, and puppeted it. And there was an actor, Bolahi Bandejo, who played the, the alien. The phallic design of it, to me, this is very highfalutin, as my, as my mother-in-law would say, highfalutin, rootin', tootin'. It taps into your, yeah. your kind of uh, most primal subconscious. It's phallic and weird, and it's, it's that its head, and what is it? And even in glimpses, there's just something really primal and creepy about well, it. Even the spaceship is weird. And, and then I think sexual. that's because Giger was crazy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He had, he had some kind of mental illness, but was a great artist and tapped into his own mental illness to create this art. The talons are great. This, the, the serrated dag, uh, uh, kind of dagger tail, he could cut you in half with his tail. If the whole movie was just the tail and that's all you saw, I think that would still work pretty well. <laughs> um, the, 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 the jaw shooting out of the, the, you know, the tooth jaw shooting out like a lethal you know, file cabinet. I mean... And, and again, he shows it as, as little as possible till the end, which is when the audience wants to see it. And you guys see monster movies. You kind of like, eventually you go, please show me the monster. And when, when the filmmakers don't, there's a little sense of like, oh, geez, I would have liked to see him a little bit. Um, so to me, that's the greatest full-body monster suit. I, I agree. And I, I didn't have that issue. I mean, even at the, I guess at the very end when it's shot out into space, and you see it going like that. But the thing that I really loved about it is that you know, as a kid, I saw this film and I thought, here we are, state-of-the-art effects and all the rest of that. And then years later, seeing outtakes from it, the, the scene where the alien kills uh, Veronica Cartwright <clears throat> and Yafit Kato, and there's a shot. It's a wide shot. I'm sure you've seen it. And it's the first time 
it would have been the first time in the film you'd seen, though. Have people seen this outtake? It's actually kind of terrible because you just see a guy in a rubber suit going, and it ruins everything. And I realized the amazing thing about this film is not that it's some kind of state-of-the-art effects. It's that he actually shot the thing the way you should shoot these creatures. And I, I never had that thrown-out moment. And I realized if, I, if they had kept that shot in, I think it would have ruined the film. But I'm, I've never heard you guys say it gave it away in the film. I don't, what, what scene for you gave the... Oh, it's just, it it's really only happens in the last, what, 15 minutes, I think, where, you, where yeah. I, I would just... It's, it so artfully shows you pieces yeah. of things that you can connect in your mind as to, well, what could that be a piece be? What could he really look like if he's got this and this and this and this and that's all in one creature? And, and I was just disappointed that it's like, okay, it's, it's, a, it's just a guy. It's a guy in a suit. It's a guy in a suit, you know? I mean, it, even even Godzilla is a guy in a suit, but he he at least looks like a dinosaur. But this guy looks like a guy in in rubber leotards, you know, with a great head. And it's, I just thought. But it was those kind of bony tendrils in yeah. the back and the weird shaped. Head. Oh, they did it! They did it! They did a great as great a job of trying to cover up the fact that they're stuck with a guy in a suit as you could do, you know. So what? How would you do it? I wouldn't have shown him as much. That's oh. all. Well, I would have let the audience use their imagination a little more. I would, you know, I mean, it didn't work out for Val Luton really because he never made any money. But uh, you know, another era too. I just, I just think that sometimes it's what you don't show that can be scarier. I agree. Yeah, it's a terrific movie. Yeah, the, yeah, yeah. It's okay. <laughs> Sorry, that is not that it has anything to do with rubber suits. But I got to say, as a screenwriter who. Um, I really do hate reading screenplays and have tried to read very few in my life, mostly studying film and studying writing and figuring out how to put the two of them together. One of the few scripts that I ever read to study from was, was Walter Hill's rewrite or his draft of, of Alien, which, you know, if you want to read one script to learn how to write screenplays, Walter Hill's shooting script for Alien is, you've read it. Yes. It's unbelievable. Well, Walter also writes scripts differently. I was like, lucky enough to work with him for, for a, a while. And he writes scripts differently than everyone else. Yeah. Because if you look at a script, and you've probably all read one or written one, it goes across the page like this, like a book. And, and Walter developed this thing where it's all down just the, the, the left side of the page, like this. A man enters, yeah. you know, space. He doesn't want to be here. Double space. He pulls out a cigarette space and it it forces you to it's like a freight train scripts can be very uh difficult to read because they go on and on but walter and long just, and heavy too i would think yeah but no it, but but it's because it, the minimalism of it yeah. works as a reading experience but also i think works as a storytelling approach if you look at the driver the driver yeah. is it's just like a it's it's kabuki it's so simple and they don't uh, even have names. What's that? They don't even they don't have, have names. names. They don't even have names. The driver, the what's who's the Bruce girl, Dern, the cop. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there's and and I think there's something to be said for for that. It's kind of yeah, yeah, I absolutely. And so he brought that to Alien. Yeah. Yeah. Very much so. It's an amazing, uh, amazing piece of writing. But it's not a man in a rubber suit, and that's what we're here to talk about. No. And 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 I, <laughs> I but I do want to just point out that some of my list, you're going to see these names over and over again. You're going to see Rick Baker. Yep. You're going to see Rob Bottin. Uh, these. These are amazing, and Stan Winston. I mean, these are these are amazing artists. I think they're they're you know, some of the best that we've had in the last uh, however many fifty years. Um, and they luckily worked at a time when you know the uh, the the breakthroughs that were happening uh, in um, physical makeup allowed them to do things that uh, were very almost impossible to do a couple of decades earlier. Uh, but now have been basically sort of relegated to uh, the back seat of creating everything on the computer. And, uh, yeah, not, I mean, not to be a downer, but, you know, Rick Baker on, on uh, the remake of The Wolfman. I mean, did you ever talk to him about that? Oh, he had a horrible time. Yeah. He just had a horrible time. Because, because they, everybody, since Jurassic Park, the, the, the studios and the, and the genius producers look at it and they go, well, we'll do this, do this CGI. And those of us who love practical effects say, well, no, you use CGI for something you can't do right. with practical effects. I mean, Jurassic Park to me is the perfect blend. 
And if you ever, next time you watch the movie, go, hmm, I wonder, is that, is that, did they build that or is that in the computer? And you never really know. I mean, if it's a big wide shot and the T-Rex is running, but, but Stan built a full-size T-Rex. So, but now, and, and, and I have to be honest, our movie suffers from this a little bit, The Predator. You know, there's clearly the practical one, and then there's others. There's other things in the movie that are CGI. And to me, I know the difference because I've grown up with effects and loving movies. Well, so they never quite catch, I don't know, the weight. I remember, I remember seeing whatever, what's, what's the new, the new hope? Uh, Star Wars. Well, no, I, but I, there, I differentiate. I, I remember going to see... See, when, I will not call it a new hub. I just no, but when they when they brought out the, the, the new version with all the yes. effects and new scenes. And, yes. And, um, because the movie wasn't successful enough, so George right. wanted to tinker with it. <laughs> but I remember there was, there was a shot in the original of an elephant with a rug on it. And Bantha. In the original film, and it, you, it, it has weight and density, and you can practically smell the fucking thing. And then the new one, it lumbers across the screen, and then there's some other creature that's way more detailed and way more alien-looking, but that doesn't weigh a fucking thing next to it, running around, and it makes it, it, it actually disrupts the reality of the movie for me. I had the exact same experience. I think, actually, the little one is in Tatooine before we see the Bantha. Because when I first saw this movie, on, uh, before it opened, actually, up in San Francisco, because I grew up there, you're watching this movie, and then there's this big thing, and it's furry, and it's got, right. it's got like antlers. Or what the fuck? is this thing and you realize I'm on an alien planet you're selling me on this galaxy far far away you are selling me completely and when Lucas redid the first movie for for, uh, video I guess he put in all these little additions and he put in you're absolutely right a little little CG oh yeah it was worth re-release little CG guy in Tatooine before the Bantha shows up and you go well that's a phony CGI looking creature so he's he's punctured the balloon of the magic that he's creating and it drives me crazy. Yeah, because that yeah, the the reality, the dust and the dirt and the grime are what sold that film, and, and you just don't get that with those. Uh, welcome to the "Get Off My Lawn, You Damn Kids" <laughs> podcast. Um, I feel like we do this every week. It always degenerates into. Well, but there's but you got. I love, I'm a big fan of this podcast, and you guys have love for stuff too. So, if, as long as there's equal measure. Yes. Okay. Fine. At least, uh, we're, at least we're not talking about politics. Yes, that's true. Yeah, we could. That's true. We have not gone off on Trump. That's where the rubber monsters are. Hey. Um, uh, well, fine. You, you, so you've, you, you've given us your tent. Those are pretty good. I mean, those are hey, mostly I struggled, guys man. in rubber suits. That was a whole evening. Like, oh, geez. What about this? What about that? I feel so guilty. We, we Early on, uh, Ileana Douglas came on our show and did an amazing list of her 10 favorite shots from all movies. And she'd clearly been working on it for a long time. She... I can't imagine doing that much work just to just to talk to us. <laughs> but she has a great podcast of her own, and we were talking afterwards. We were just starting out, and she was giving me advice. And she goes, "Well, here's the thing: the tough thing about having a podcast like this is you have to do you need to research the hell out of every one of your guests to be ready for them." And I just started laughing because <laughs> because we make them do the work, <laughs> and we've had dinner and, a couple times, and we like each other, and that's yeah, all you yeah. need. That's it. So uh, that that I guess. Do you have anything you'd like to add there, Joe? Yeah. No, I, th- I think this is the first episode where you've actually graded the guest on the podcast. <laughs> well, you know Fred well enough. We don't have to talk about it behind his back. We, uh, <laughs> um, well, thank you all for joining us. Be sure to check out the podcast. Be sure to check out Trailers from Hell. Our, our, what are we? The, the, the... Uh, Frank and Hooker is up today, I think. This is the oh, la- last hey. deck of Frank and Hooker. Fantastic. What's the theme this week? I don't know. We do. If you don't know the site, go to trailersfromhell.com. Look at the, the commentaries. Enjoy them. Then come listen to the podcast. Uh, Don will play us out with some music, but that will be done in post-production. Um, th- thank you all for coming. It's been a blast. And thank you, Fred. Thanks, Fred. Thank you. Appreciate the work. That's a wrap. The show was recorded at Monsterpalooza at the Marriott Burbank Hotel in beautiful downtown Burbank. We're the official podcast of TrailersFromHell.com, the best damn movie website there is. Our engineer is Don Barrett, who also wrote, produced, and created our theme song. This is Josh Olson for the Movies That Made Me. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places.
but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts.